going to make an assumption and you tell me if I'm wrong. You feel like there aren't enough hours in the day. I know it's true. There are always too many things to do and too little time. If you're like me, your boss will walk down the hallway and shout, go home, Beltran. That's why I am telling everyone about the 40-hour work week with Angela Watson. Angela was a guest on this very podcast back in season one, and she shared her ideas for managing your time, teaching, and stuff to help you make the most of your time at work while making time for home too. But that was just the beginning. In her membership, The 40-Hour Workweek, Angela helps you focus on what matters to have a purposeful and productive workday and then go home. Angela helps teachers find, on average, 11 hours a week that they can take back for themselves while still being a great teacher. The best part is that Angela has a new membership, especially for coaches. She partnered with my friend and coffee buddy, Nicole Turner of Simply Coaching, to create the 40-hour work week for coaches. Check it out at buzzingwithmissb.com slash 40-hour week and get your time back. Coach, are you feeling like your teachers are just not interested in your support? Have you struggled to get into classrooms and impact positive change? Do your teachers turn the other way when they see you coming and put you off over and over again when you offer to visit their classrooms? So many coaches face these problems and they all revolve around one thing, the culture of coaching. If your school doesn't have a coaching culture, it can feel like you're bending over backwards to please everyone while actually accomplishing nothing. This summer, my favorite annual event, the Simply Coaching Summit, is all about building a coaching culture at your school. This online conference for instructional coaches is on July 11th, 12th, and 13th, and it will give you everything you need to change your school one step at a time. The summit is three days of keynotes, live workshops, pre-recorded sessions, and live meetups. I'm giving a keynote about how getting curious can change the culture of your school, but there is so much more to the summit that you have to see it for yourself. Head to buzzingwithmissb.com summit to save your spot. The best part is that you have six months to watch the videos. So if your summer plans didn't include some cozy PD at home on the couch, you can watch them when you're back to school. See you at the summit 2022. You're listening to Buzzing with Miss B, the coaching podcast, where we believe that every teacher deserves a coach and every coach does too. I'm Chrissy Beltran, an instructional coach, resource creator, and coffee enthusiast. And I'm your host. Stay tuned for practical tips and honest coaching talk that will help you coach with confidence. Hey coach, and welcome to episode 105. We are starting a new mini series of episodes today, all about different kinds of coaching positions. Coaches don't have to just serve one campus and they aren't all just instructional coaches. This month, we're going to talk to different kinds of coaches and I can't wait. While I currently serve the broad term of instructional coach, when I first became a coach, I was designated as a literacy coach. And it wasn't because I wanted to be a literacy professional more than other subject areas. I actually really loved teaching math, science, and social studies. And as a literacy coach, I did have the opportunity to teach social studies sometimes or to support social studies. And even though I was able to do these cross-curricular units with teachers sometimes with math and science integrated, I really missed teaching math and science. Those subjects are so important and they're so dear to my heart because they are fun. Kids learn so many new and interesting things 
and you're building this knowledge base that they're going to use for everything in the future. It's one of my favorite things about being a parent now, actually, is this idea that I can build her knowledge base and she will know stuff that will follow her into the future. So anyway, I guess that's a little bit off topic, but I just wanted to share that I did not become a literacy coach because I didn't love teaching the other things. As a matter of fact, it's just because that's the position that was open that was offered to me. I was asked to come apply for it. And I thought I could do that. <laughs> that sounds great. I did love literacy for sure. So I wanted to feature this topic in its very own episode of, uh, of being a math coach because I get a lot of questions about being a math coach and whether general strategies will transition to this very specific type of coaching. Many coaches, and if you're listening to this in real time, you know, you, you're, you're thinking about this, you're thinking about the changes that they'd like to make to their role for next year. So they're considering moving to different schools or districts or positions. So I wanted you to have this opportunity to listen in today to see if math coaching is your dream job. Today, Stacey Erickson is joining us to share her experience as a math coach. She's from Math Coach Minute. So let's welcome Stacey to the podcast. Welcome, Stacey. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. I'm really glad that you were able to join us today to talk about math coaching. So can you introduce yourself to our listeners, talk a little bit about who you are, how you ended up here, and what kind of work you're focusing on right now? Yeah, so um, my name is Stacy. I'm from Texas, and uh, I've been in education for 17 years. My husband's a high school teacher right now. Uh, he's actually going to step away from the classroom next year. He's going full-time photography, so we're really excited about that. Um, I have two little boys. Well, I say little. They're not so little anymore. <laughs> they're almost 9 and 12, but <laughs> to me, they're always little, but um yeah, I've been in education for 17 years, and I ended up being a math coach. It was kind of a journey getting here. Um, you know, my I always knew I wanted to be a teacher since I was like six years old. And one of the things, though, is when I entered my first year of teaching, it was a really difficult situation. And at Christmas, I, I was going to like quit teaching and go do something else because I thought I made a mistake. But my awesome husband encouraged me to continue to teach. And then it was that second year after my year of teaching, and I met two teachers who basically changed my life. Mm -hmm. They taught me how to break down standards. They taught me how to create curriculum from scratch. And I really think that is what projected or like kind of built my love for curriculum and instruction and all things math. Mm -hmm. because it's funny that I'm a math coach because when I graduated college I was going to be their best second grade teacher and now <laughs> here I am doing all grade levels for math so mm -hmm. <laughs> so that's just kind of a shortened version of it but it was you know at sticking it out after my first year of teaching and then just trusting the process and meeting some amazing teachers who mentored me when they didn't have to mm -hmm. and um, just really changed everything for me. Yeah, I love that. It really speaks to how important it is to support our colleagues and what a lasting impact we can have. I mean, as a coach too, you know, it's kind of whenever you're a teacher, you impact the kids in your class, but when you're a coach, you impact every kid those teachers will ever have, you know, when you support a colleague. Absolutely. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. If it wasn't for those two teachers who, 
because I had a really rough first year experience. Um, mm -hmm. When I, you know, everyone's first year of teaching is hard, but this was just beyond anything, even 17 years in. And it's just, if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't be teaching. So mm -hmm. well, that's amazing. Shout out to them. <laughs> yes. Shout out. Huge shout out. <laughs> so my very first like question about the topic is what does a math coach do? Where does your time go? You know, could you walk us through a typical day or is there no typical day or can you give us some highlights? <laughs> Oh, I wish there's a typical day sometimes. No, <laughs> you know, that's one thing I love about it is it changes. Um, even when I have it on my calendar, I walk in for the day and it's completely changed. Um, mm -hmm. So what's kind of unique and interesting is in my district, I'm actually the first instructional coach they've ever had. Mm -hmm. And so I've been doing this for four years and it's, I'm now the district math coach for, uh, I, right now I'm focusing on pre-K through third I help some with fourth and fifth next year I'll be doing a lot more with fourth fifth and sixth since I'm the only one I've been building each year so right now we're focusing a lot on the foundations and getting those tight and everything and then we'll move up gradually so because I'm the only math math coach I'm not the only instructional coach we also have a reading instructional coach but since I'm the only math coach I I have to be very flexible with my time and so, like I said, I have a plan for the day and then that gets completely changed up, which is okay. But a lot of things that I do is I do a lot of curriculum alignment. So um, I, I work a lot with, you know, we talk about how important vertical alignment is, but, mm -hmm. you know, we, we say that a lot, but then how do we actually make that happen? Mm -hmm. And so a lot of things, times I will meet with teachers and I say, like, say I'm meeting with second teacher, second grade teachers. I'll say, okay, this is what they did in kindergarten and first grade. This is what they're coming to you with. These are the foundations they have. Here's what your job is. So that way, when they go into third grade. So I do a lot of that vertical alignment and help teachers with that. Um, so we can get that going. And then I do, um, I create district tests and assessments. You know, I'll create a test. I give it to teachers and I say, hey, what do you think? You know, what do we need to change? So we do a lot of collaboration with that. Um, I collaborate a lot with lessons and I do model lessons or um, just basically anything the teachers need, the teachers need, I'm there and mm -hmm. I, I collaborate with them. So that, that was a lot of information. I know. <laughs> well, great. I love the focus so, on um, vertical alignment. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, we, I've been in the 17 years we talk about how important that is and we have all these documents mm -hmm. and stuff that talks about vertical alignment which it's great in theory but you know with standards they have these broad standards and you really got to get into the details with it mm -hmm. and it's really hard sometimes to have that time to get into the details so that's another thing I do is I get into the details like you know, in first grade, we're doing addition and subtraction word problems. What does that look like? Oh, we mm -hmm. need to use start changing result. We need to use the words joining and separating. Well, guess what? None of that information is in the actual standard. It's in the description right. of the standard, but not in the actual standard. So I help a lot with that and do a lot of legwork for that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes there's a lot of um, interpretation on the teacher's part as to what that standard actually means. And then whenever you see it building, you, you see it all over the place. So there's actually not a, like a foundation and then building on that foundation. It's just like everybody kind of trying to figure things out on right. their own, <laughs> you know? 
Um, it, that happens a lot exactly. in reading. Exactly. Yeah. It happens a lot in reading in writing as well, because the standards can be super general. And the biggest difference is just the complexity of the text that you're asking kids to, to work through. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, and you know, and it's a lot of things. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh. No, you go ahead. Well, no, I was going to say too, you know, for example, in second grade, when we talk about fractions, you know, you automatically think that fractions is going to be numerator denominator. And when you look reason go try to find resources all the second grade resources have a numerator denominator with a fraction line but in the state of texas in second grade they're not even supposed to be knowing what numerator denominator is yet that's not their lane and so like we talked about that this year with uh, some of our teachers and they're like whoa wait are you really and so you know it's one of those things that it makes sense that when you're talking about fractions that you're going mm -hmm. to talk about the numerator denominator but that's, they're not ready for that yet, so. Right, right, you're looking at a conceptual understanding at that, at, at that level. Right, mm -hmm. exactly, exactly. So is it difficult to differentiate yourself? I mean, you did mention you have a literacy coach, so, or a, a reading coach, so this may not be as much of an issue, but from like a general instructional coach, or is your school very clear on your role as a math coach? Because I would love to hear about like how you rolled that out, especially knowing that you're like the first generation of coaches. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so when I first started instructional coaching, um, I was at the junior high campus and I was a general instructional coach. Okay. But our district had not put in place yet, a we didn't have a curriculum department at the time. Mm -hmm. And so um, like, you know, like what you typically think where you have someone in charge of math and ELAR and that helps the teachers and everything, kind of like what I'm doing now. And so at first I was a general instructional coach, but as we got more and more into it, we realized like I was getting all these content questions from ELAR and I'm like, oh, not my lane, not my expertise. I, I can help ELAR with instruction. I can help social studies with instruction, but when it like instructional strategies, mm -hmm. but when it came to the content, I'm like, my strength is math. Like that's, that's my love. That's my strength. And so we found that we quickly found that it was instead of having just a general instructional coach mm -hmm. that to have instructional coaches that also specialize in content. Now, can I go into an ELR classroom or science or social studies classroom? Yeah. And I go in and I can help with like instructional strategies. But right now I focus because there's so much to do. I focus a lot just on the math side. Mm -hmm. So um, our district has over the years, they do have clear expectations of like, you're going to focus on the math and this, this is what we're going to do for this year. We're going to focus on pre-K through third math. And not to say I don't do anything with the other grade levels, but that's like my main focus. And then next year, we're going to focus on fourth through six. So we do kind of have a plan that we've created over the next two or three years of how to get that support out as quickly as we can. Um, so. I don't know if you realize that I'm in El Paso, Texas. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah. I did not no. know that. <laughs> what part of Texas are you in? I am in Perryton. It's two north, two hours north of Amarillo. Okay. So we're like eight miles from Oklahoma and we go to Walmart yeah. in Kansas. So, okay. Yeah. Yeah. We, we you know, we spent Sunday yeah, in, way in New there, Mexico but... because yeah. you know, we just took a 45 minute drive to New Mexico. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so I, I think that that is a model that a lot of Texas schools has rolled out 
lately, like over the, maybe the last five, 10 years, um, is really in a, like supporting teachers through having a literacy coach and a math science coach, or at least a math coach. Uh, and I, I think that that's because of the changing standards, the standards have changed, the test has changed so very much over the last 10 years. And teachers have needed so much support in that area that that's kind of where a lot of the funding has gone, which is a good place for funding, at least. <laughs> um, so, yeah. You know, you talked about how a lot of a lot of schools in Texas, especially, are going towards like specializing in content and stuff, which I think makes sense. Because in my previous district, this was about eight years ago, I was an instructional coach. I did RTI, math half part time, and part time, and it, I felt like, um, and when I did the coaching part time, I did I did pretty much all subjects, but I, I felt like even seven, eight years ago, it was different. I mean, things have changed so much and that test has gotten so much more difficult and the standards I feel like are just getting shut further and further down that to me, I feel like you can get more bang for your buck by having a content coach who can help with instructional strategies, but also help the content as well. Because when I was doing instructional coaching, it was difficult because I'm like, Yes, we need instructional strategies, but how how can I help you implement this instructional strategy with your content? And so it's just a lot easier as a math coach to say, okay, we're going to focus on this instructional strategy. Let's use this content because I have that knowledge uh, background. I totally. But agree. if you ask me to do the same thing with Elar, I'm going to go blank. So, <laughs> yeah, I totally agree with that. I um, I, I was specialized as a literacy coach actually here in El Paso, Texas, whenever I started coaching and there is, there was so much content support that teachers needed and understanding standards and understanding, you know, genres and understanding best practices for that content that if you are not really well versed in it, it's difficult to support at that level, I think. And so I know that some coaches have to do a, you know, they, they cover everything. They're an instructional coach and they can cover any content. And that's, that's, if that's your job, that's your job, right? That's what it is. But it does change your role whenever you're focused on a specific content, because you're expected to really know that content very well and the best practices within that. Yes. Content. Yeah, exactly. A hundred percent agree. Or what kinds of schooling or training or learning do you find really prepared you for this coaching role that you're in right now? So while I was in the classroom, I sought out any kind of leader, leadership opportunity. Um, I, if I could serve at, in a, you know, a committee like, you know, department, we didn't call it department heads, but, you know, anything that I could do leadership wise so I can learn from other leaders. Uh, I do have my certification. I am an, have my admin certification. I have my master's degree in educational leadership, and that did help some. The thing that I got the most from that was, whenever I went through all the training on how to go into a classroom and observe and give feedback. So that was really, really helpful. So um, that was something, but then also, honestly, just learning from others, learning from other leaders, reading up, listening to different podcasts. Uh, you know, I had a mentor in my previous district who really took me under his wing and really taught me you know, what it meant to be a leader and how to listen and how to give positive feedback. I mean, so I, I don't know if there was one thing, it was a, it was a whole combination of things, 
but I sought out every opportunity I could to grow as a leader and, you know, just being very, really self-reflective and, you know, not being afraid to grow and to change. And so I think it was just a several different things that helped me to prepare for this role. Yeah. I think that's really honest because a lot of people will say, what program do I need to take? What, you know, certification do I need? And some places do require certain certifications. Most of Texas does not right. <laughs> for, for instructional coaches, Yeah, but they do, they want to say, okay, well, what, what check boxes do I have to check to do this job? And I was the same way. I, I yeah. did not become a coach through taking a program. I became a coach through learning how to work with teachers by watching people who worked with teachers and being worked with as a teacher and observing and, and getting really good at your content in your classroom before I transitioned to that coaching role. It was still a big, it was still abrupt. It was still a, a big shift. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, and I agree with that. I think it's a, it was just a very natural process and it was something that I was eager to learn more about and to do. And it wasn't something I did because I was looking to get out of the classroom. In fact, I right. still miss the classroom every day. I'm like, you need me to teach? I got you. Like I, you know, so I think it was just kind of a, a something that I desired and sought out mm -hmm. different ways to grow. Yes, I totally agree. I think if you are a self-starter, you know, kind of an independent learner, somebody who enjoys learning new things and trying them out in your classroom, then that could be a good fit for you to become a coach. Yes. And that's exactly how I was. So I was always trying out the stuff. So yeah, <laughs> I agree with you. <laughs> how much math content knowledge do you think you should have to start out as a math coach specifically? I think my first answer would want is to say a lot, <laughs> but that could be very, very overwhelming. You know, a lot of it, because I mean, I align content all the way from pre-K all the way through sixth grade right now. And so, I mean, my main focus is pre-K through third, but I'm already starting the process of fourth, fifth, and sixth, because that's what I'm going to be focusing on a lot next year. But I know that seems very overwhelming. So what I would say is be an expert in your grade level content, mm -hmm, at least. because if you can be an expert in your grade level content. And you can tear apart those standards. You can, you know, find the specificities and exactly what it is that you're supposed to teach in the standard. And if you can look at the grade level before you of what they're going to come to you with, what content knowledge they're going to have when they come to you and where they're going to go. So knowing the before, the actual, um, the grade level before, your actual grade level and the grade level after, if you can get really good at that, then it's going to make it a lot easier to tear, uh, you know, I don't want to say tear apart, but that's pretty much tear apart the other standards. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that's pretty much what you're doing. Right. right. And um, so I think if you can become an expert in your grade level first, then branch out to the grade level before and after, then I think it makes it a lot easier to expand even more. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, be really good at something and then, <laughs> then you can be yeah. good at it. You can add the other stuff too. Um, what are some ways that I, like, I know that whenever I was a teacher, I used to do professional developments on my campus for writing and for reading. And that was one way that I started working with other grade level content, or I wrote curriculum at, you know, for central office for our district. I would mm -hmm. do that and that would, that familiarize me with, you know, I had to learn the standards at a much deeper level. I had to be able yes. to share that with others. And that always requires you to know it better than, than if you just need it for yourself. <laughs> Are you have any other? Exactly. Exactly. 
do you have any other ideas about how people could uh, actually start doing that kind of work if they're maybe, so maybe it's like a general instructional coach. How could they get really focused on math if they want to transition into that role? Um, I'm not sure this is what you're asking, but the first thing that popped up in my mind when you asked that was pick a standard. So for example, one of the things that I do in content training is whatever units we are doing for that six weeks, we look at that, we look at only those teaks for that six weeks. Mm -hmm. So let's say we're doing addition subtraction unit. We will look at that unit at, and then we will pull all the teaks from that unit. Then what I do from there is each teak gets its own sheet. And so I take the teak and we look, we tear that teak apart. But honestly, I do a lot of the legwork because I only get them for a very short amount of time. Right. And so I know they say, have the teachers pull out the verbs and the whatever, whatever, the nouns. <sighs> great. But then what do we do? They do with it then. Okay. Right. It sounds We're great. Out of time. Okay. Bye. You know, yeah. now you have some nouns and verbs on a list. Bye. Right. Yeah. It, and I think there's something to that, but when we only do, you have the noun and verbs on the list and that's it. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've taken standards and found the nouns and verbs in before we actually got anywhere with it. Right. And so, <laughs> so what I do is I take each teak had its own sheet and we have, they have visuals on there. They have the important vocabulary. So anything they, everything they need to teach that teak is on this sheet. So if you're a general instructional coach and you really want to help your math teachers take the unit they're on, mm -hmm. pull each individual teak and have a sheet and have it already made for them. Because then we can spend all that time looking at that specific teak and all the different ways that you can teach it visual, you know, the concrete representational abstract model, you know, the whole thing, but really looking at that and having those discussions. And then from there, we can talk about the instructional strategies. How are we going to teach, how are we going to teach this teak? So you get, I feel like a deeper conversation than just to say, okay, well, let's look at the teak. Let's start announcing. Okay. What are we going to do with it? I don't know. So I, that's what I would suggest is take one unit they're on, each teak gets its own sheet, tear that teak apart, put the visuals on there for them, any information they need to teach it. Yeah, I totally agree so with that's that. that's probably what I would do. Yeah, it's a great way to start. <laughs> and it's a great way to get really familiar with it yourself and to learn a lot about it yourself by unpacking it. Mm -hmm. And so just in case, you know, there are 49 other states. So <laughs> um, TEAKS are yeah. the Texas Essential Knowledge and Skills. And that is oh. what we follow in Texas. Those are our standards. Sorry, y'all. You can always tell a Texas person. We can't help it. Um, I'm just I'm so used to saying it. Yeah, I know. We're, I'm not even like raw, raw Texas. That is so not me, but you still, it creeps into your language and it's just, it, it is part of the way that you speak. So um, the, whenever and we it's say, just I say that all day. Long. Yes. Yeah. Sorry. Your teachers. <laughs> it's what's a word that we use for standards here, local standards. It's the state standards. So whenever we say a single yeah, yeah. one of the teaks, even though they're the Texas essential knowledge and skills. So it, it wouldn't make sense to say teak. We all do say teak as if it's a singular thing and we leave off the yeah. S because grammatically it cannot possibly be a singular thing if it's, if it's got an S at the end. So it's, it's a confusing place to live, but that's, this is what we do. <laughs> so, so yes, if you're not in Texas, right. then I would say take your standards for your yeah. unit, whatever they are, 
Okay, and then each standard gets their own sheet that you're going to just have all the information you need to teach it. Yes, exactly. Yeah. That's perfect. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> you know what's so funny is I didn't even realize I was saying teak that entire time because I'm like, it's just I say it all day long. I forget, you know. <laughs> that's just the way that you speak. I mean, it's that's that's authentic. It's the way that you talk to teachers. It's the word yeah. that we use. It's not we don't say standards very often. We usually say teaks because that's what they are. Right. So. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so how do you track the effectiveness or impact of your coaching? That's actually a question that a lot of people want to know for different reasons, even just for them, themselves to kind of see, am I making an impact or because they have to just like defend their position, <laughs> justify their existence to somebody else. So I think for me this year, it's a lot easier. So my coaching looks a little different than maybe what it's going to look like even two or three years from now, because I'm spending so much time with the content planning. I mean, once in six mm -hmm. weeks, I pulled teachers and we do a full day of content planning. So that's how my coaching role looks like right now. And so we are able to, you know, take the unit test and we get the data from those unit tests. And so we're able to see, okay, based on the coaching I did for the content planning, how, how did it work out? And so we look at the data for it and which is, that's kind of heavy and scary sometimes. I know it's not you know, we're a team. We are a team with administrators and teachers and I'm coaching through the content, but there's still something in the back of your head. They're like, well, if this test doesn't go well, it's hard to not take that on as your responsibility. So, <laughs> right. so looking at the data from the test for sure. Um, but the other thing I do too, is a lot of times when we do our content planning or not even just content planning, when I'm just talking to a teacher individually, I will sit down and say, lay it out there. Where are you feeling? Give me your feedback. Because sometimes things are going well. Like we've had such a positive experience with our content planning. Everything has been going really well, but you know, there's times where it's just like, okay, does it, let's talk about the tests or let's talk about how we're teaching it or whatever, like, just give me that feedback. And so I allow teachers to have just honest conversations. And I don't want to say allow, I, I want them, Welcome. I give them permission to have a safe place. Yeah. I have this safe place just to, let's just get down to it. Like, mm -hmm. let's have this conversation if we need to have a hard conversation. And so I think that's built a lot of trust. And I think they feel comfortable to be able to say like, here's what's working, here's what's not, what can we do to fix it? So we have a lot of honest conversations that are very, very productive. So yeah, I love that. I think that, yeah. And I think that has probably, the data is awesome. Um, in fact, we just did benchmark testing with third grade math today and their, their data looked phenomenal. And so we celebrated, it was awesome. But I, and so the data is very important, but I think the thing that has made the most impact is just having those honest, productive conversations. Mm -hmm. I really like that because you're saying that you're not just looking at, you're not just tracking what you've done and like setting goals and then check, check, I accomplished those goals. You're saying, how is it impacting individual teachers? And then you're asking the teachers to tell you, <laughs> you're not just assuming, you know? Yeah. So I think that's a really yeah. great way to, to get that, to kind of track and case studies really. And, and testimonies and all those are testimonials. All of that is valid. All of that is valid input, you know? So if you did have to justify your position to anybody, you could use those testimonials 
it wouldn't be a bad thing to, well, we, I mean, I talk about giving teachers surveys frequently, but if you had a teacher survey and you sent it out about your coaching work and then you saved those, any kind of, anything that shows how effective or impactful your coaching has been and you held on to those, it's nice to reread them for one, because sometimes mm -hmm. we have bad days <laughs> and it's also yeah. good to be able to say, Hey, so-and-so who's in charge of funding my job. This is why I'm doing what I'm doing. Yeah. You know, and I think too, one of the things as a coach is, you know, I spent a lot of time working to help align curriculum and to create these content plans and do all these things. But I miss the mark sometimes. I make mistakes and I own them. And so I think it's one of those things that we can have all the data sheets and all the forms to fill out. We can do all those things. But I think the thing is, teachers, as a coach, I'm not a coach over teachers. I'm a I collaborate with them. Mm -hmm. And so I am someone that's there to work with them, not above them, but to work with them because they're the teachers in the classroom. I firmly believe that teachers are the experts. You know, what I think might sound great in theory and might sound great based off what the standard is saying might not be the most realistic thing in the classroom. So if we need to get, you know, we need to hit a standard a certain way, how, how do we do that where it's effective in the classroom? So collaborating with teachers and um, I'm not afraid to tell teachers, I don't know, but let me find out for you. Mm -hmm. So I think just having those, just being honest and working together. I like that. That's great. So I do want to know about the biggest challenges that you faced in your coaching work specifically as they pertain to math. And I have a guess, a couple guesses on what they could be. And so I'm curious to see what they actually are. <laughs> um, the biggest thing is time. <laughs> always I think everybody, yeah, everybody's problem is always time. time. But one of the things that we have faced this year that I think the teachers have done a phenomenal job working with or working through is, you know, the state says, here are your, um, the curriculum that you can adopt, your textbook adoption. And who in Texas, at least only 50% of your standards have to be truly aligned to be considered hundred percent aligned. Hmm. And so we're going through textbooks and we're doing this content planning. We're like, wait a minute, that's not part of the standard. Right. Wait a minute. That's not part of the standard. And so, you know, I think that's something that we've worked through and I think teachers, oh, it's just, oh, I'm so proud of them. Just to see them take the curriculum that Texas has adopted or any, you know, and just to see them analyze and say, I know my standard and I know my standard does not, mm -hmm. this does not match my standard. Mm -hmm. So that's something that I have seen that has just been really cool to watch is to yeah. see teachers saying, this is what my standard says. This is not what, this does not match my standard. How so I think the resources that are available out there and, you know, it's, it's another challenge. So I'm on TikTok and I love TikTok and you're not <laughs> going to see me do a bunch of dances. I mean, once in a while, a really bad dance, but <laughs> I share all my unreal. I think there yeah, was like, it's a, uh, whoo, I am not the dancer, but anyways, I'll just go on there and make my, myself look like a fool, but I share a lot of math stuff 
Mm -hmm. Well, I shared this document and it was a, uh, maybe a first, second grade standard. And it was one standard that I talked about earlier. And I had just taken all these millions of different sheets and I had torn them. I tore them apart and I put it onto one sheet. And this is a bottom line. I call it the bottom line of the standard. What is your bottom line of this standard? And that people were messaging me, have like, you know, all these thousands and thousands of views and people messaging me and sharing it and saying, how do I do this? How do I do this? And my resources that I have in Texas on how I did it are different than what mm -hmm. other states have. So it's kind of hard for me to say, well, take this resource, this resource, and this resource, and this is how you do it. Or they're like, can you make it for me? And I'm like, oh, you live in Tennessee. I don't even know what you use as a standard. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> and I, and I say all that because States make it really difficult to be successful in teaching the standards. Yes. I feel yeah. like they give this broad statement and then they give a standardized test at the end of the year. And they're like, well, you should have known that. Mm -hmm. You should have known that's how it's supposed to be taught. And it's just like, Absolutely. so I think that's the other challenge. My district is really great about if I, I say I need this resource so we can break down the standards. They're really good about finding the money to mm -hmm. help me with that. So I, we are very fortunate in our district to have different resources where we can get all this information we need to break down the standards. But why do, why do districts have to buy resources just to know what a standard means? Whenever they've all already... So I think that's the thing that, that we... Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's like we have to spend more money right. just to figure out what the heck we're wanting us to teach. When buckets of money so, has already been spent, buckets of money have already been spent on this, on the textbook. I totally know what you're right. saying because that was so frustrating to yeah. me. This, this is the issue. One of the, one of the problems is we don't always know what that general standard means until we see the way it's tested. And yes. that yeah. is a huge problem in my opinion, for lots of reasons, obviously, yeah. because that, that means that yes. only the test will show us the depth and complexity of any standard and all of the associated stuff that they want to peg onto it. They can test it in any which way and say, well, that was part of the standard, didn't you know? And they also, yeah. <laughs> they, they put out these, you know, new standards, whether they're good or bad, they're different. And then a textbook comes along right after. And then right after that, you get the actual test. So you don't know mm -hmm. what it looks like when the textbook is created. And then they say, no, exactly about that. And so not until yeah. that test comes out, can you really say, oh, this is what they meant by these words. By draw conclusions, they meant something different than what they've ever meant before. So Exactly. And it's like little things like, so like in third grade math, um, when you're looking at the math test, all the, all the money questions have visuals of money. Mm -hmm. Well, so if they ask a money question, it's always going to have the picture. Well, if I hadn't gone and torn through those tests and and pulled all money questions, I figured that out based off a pattern. Yes. Not because text was kind enough to tell me. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, right. Why wouldn't it say using visuals, right? It should say that, but it does not. It just, yeah, I know exactly what you're saying. Yeah. And then you get to second, first and kinder, like in Texas, you know, we don't start testing till third. So you right. get into the younger grades. It's like, well, what does that mean? You're just kind of and devolving the standard based on, yeah, on what third grade looks like. Yeah. Well, I'll like tell, like, I just remember, I can't remember what we were, what the content was, but in second grade, I, oh, what were we doing? I wish I remember, but I said, this is what it's going to look like in third grade. So this is how we're going to do it in second grade. Mm -hmm. And it, I mean, we may stay in our lane with the standard, 
but the way we tested it, because there wasn't, even through all the digging, I was like, I, I can't figure out how we're supposed to, this is supposed to look. So we're going to do it based on what third grade does. Mm -hmm. But what teacher has time to do that all the time? They don't, I remember in the classroom, I didn't have time to mess with that. And so mm -hmm. that's a lot of what I do is all that legwork and stuff. So, yes. Yeah. I was wondering also, do you see a lot of misconceptions about teaching math or math concepts? Can you say it one more time? Do you see a lot of misconceptions about how math should be taught or about like the actual concepts of math? Um, mostly I think about the concepts. So, mm -hmm. well, no, probably I would maybe, ooh, I'm going back and think it's probably actually a little bit of both. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like, even, you know, I've been doing this for years and years and years. And I'm a, I think I'm a math nerd. I was a person in the classroom who had a stinking uh, flip, flip cards of all my math con or my math standards. And if someone said 5.4a, I could like recite it to you. Yes. Yeah. So I, know like, you I was, I was a huge nerd. <laughs> <laughs> and so I feel like I have a pretty strong content knowledge, but we were working with first grade and it says start change result. Well, I have all this experience in fifth grade math. We didn't do start change result in math or fifth grade math. And so I was like, well, what is this? And then I was like, oh my goodness, this is huge. We should be doing this in kinder. We should be doing it in first. We should be doing this in second grade. And it's such, it makes so much sense because it helps students learn to pull the equation out of the problem, which is what students struggle a lot with. Mm -hmm. And that's something that we've hit really hard. And oh my goodness, you should see our first graders pull equations out of word problems. They are phenomenal. In fact, all the grade levels, it's just amazing to see. But there was a misconception on how to teach that because we didn't know. And so when right. we started really digging into it, it wasn't because I the standard told us we have, you know, lead forward in Texas. We were looking into that document. We we're like, oh, this is how we should be teaching this. And mm -hmm. so- once we implemented that, I felt like it was a game changer for kids. Yeah. They were no longer just adding everything up because when you do yeah. start change result, you have to decide, are we joining or separating? And kids are now using that language. So it was a game changer, I felt, because kids had something to kind of anchor onto. Mm -hmm. And so I think if there is any misconceptions, it's just because the standards are not as clear as they should be. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing we've been working a lot on. In teaching, uh, what you said, the misconception, the content or the teaching, is that what, you, what was the other one? Um, like actual instruction, like instructional models for math. Yeah. For our district, I, there might've been some, there are some, I mean, I think there's gonna be some, like if I were to go back in the fifth grade math classroom, I'd probably still have some misconceptions that I would have to work through. So I think there are some. But I think probably more so of like the actual concept, just because the standards are just so vague. Mm -hmm. And they've, yeah, they've, so they've, I went back and forth on that. I go with concept. Yeah. <laughs> they just changed so much, I think, so dramatically that people are still trying to catch up with all of that. So, if yeah. I and that's one thing that, go ahead. I'm sorry, there's that, that, that lag. I was just going to say, I think that's one thing getting to work so closely with my teachers and getting to work with them on a regular basis. We're able to like, if there is a 
teaching misconception, then we can work through that and like, okay, this isn't working. So what do we do differently? So I think that is something that we've been able to work a lot on. Yes, that's great. And that is that planning support. I know, I know a lot of coaches don't do the planning support, uh, depending on how their schools work and how their timeframes work. And I really think it's important. I think it's an important way to align horizontally and vertically. I think it's an important way to build common language with teachers. I think it's an important way to show that you do have knowledge to be supportive of them because sometimes they don't know that you can be supportive until you sit in a room with them at a table and you figure things out together. So I really think that's an important piece that some coaches maybe don't have and content coaches tend to do more than general instructional coaches do because they're Mm -hmm. focused on, on specific things and they don't have to cover a million different topics. So that, that is helpful. Yeah, I think we're very fortunate that we're able to do that. So it's been, I feel like it has just been a game changer for so many different reasons. So we have supportive campus administrators, district administrators. So I think that has been something, like I said, we're just very fortunate that we get to do. Love it. So if a coach is starting out as a math coach and this is new role to their district or campus, what would you say are the most essential things they need to do to start out? Know your people. So I'm a very high energy kind of like when I was in the classroom, I was like in your face doing all these crazy things in my classroom. So I'm one that gets very excited very easily. And so I had to learn who, like if I had this idea, I knew who I could just go in and be like, oh my goodness, like, let me tell you about this. And they would like be just as excited with me. But then I might have someone over here, if I did that, that would completely overwhelm them and shut the, and they shut down. And so I had to know my people. I had to know like their personalities, how much they can take at once. Like, do I need to give a little bit at a time or can I just like dump it all out? Because my natural reaction is just to dump it all out and just share everything. But if I want to be in the coach, I have to know like, who can I share or what level I guess, or how quickly I can share things. Um, so that's one of the biggest things. Okay. So in the, the second thing I would be, I would think is just being a good listener and taking any kind of feedback and don't take it personal. If it's not something that you, that's maybe the most positive, maybe it's something that was, you know, unexpected or it kind of, you know, came out of left field. It obviously didn't kind of left field because they've been sitting on it. It means something to them. And so just being a good listener, because it's, it's not about you. It's about what they're feeling in that moment. And we need to validate those feelings and make them feel heard. And there's honestly, there's probably, <laughs> to be quite honest, quite honest, I found that there's probably some truth to it. And so what can I do to change and what can I do to be that support? And so I think it's one of those things that we just have to be very reflective. And if we need to make changes, you know, then that's what we need to do. We're asking our teachers to make changes. We're asking our, asking our teachers to better themselves. We have to do the same thing. So we need to listen to that feedback. And um, there, like I said, there's probably always a little bit of truth to what they're saying, if not a whole lot of truth. And so we just got to be able to take that and just um, use that to become a better coach. Mm-hmm. So that's very good advice. It's 
that's good advice for any coach. I think, um, regardless of the content area that you coach or, or whatever you coach, whatever administration you are, because it's very hard sometimes to separate your feelings out from this because we put so much of our own heart in our work and we feel like our work represents us. So we're like, Oh, all of the work that I do, that's me out there in the world. But whenever Mm -hmm. we do that, sometimes we get too caught up in our role in things and, and who we are in that situation, instead of listening Mm -hmm. to the input that we're getting and saying, oh, this is a change that I could make that would help me do my job even better. It doesn't mean that you're doing something bad or wrong, but we can do things differently that maybe somebody, somebody needs something different from us. So if we can, we can listen for that and accept it, then we can be a really great coach. We have to walk the walk. Yeah. Exactly. And, you know, teachers are in, are in the trenches. They are living it every day. You know, I can go and teach a model lesson and I walk out of the classroom. And if I need to go take a 10 minute breather, because whatever, then I can do that. You know, teachers don't get that mm-hmm. flexibility to do, to do that. Um, and, you know, at the beginning of the year, I create, I create roadmaps. So, you know, this is what we're going to do. It's basically the order of when we're going to teach the units. Mm-hmm. And I had a teacher come to me like, man, Stacy, I really think we need to, it was one of the units. We really need to put this in the fall. And at first I was like, no, we really need this in the spring. So I, but I stopped myself. I'll say, okay, well, talk to me about it. Why do you feel this way? And uh, she goes, well, we and the other teachers have talked and this is why we feel this. And I'm like, valid point. So when we meet in our upcoming meeting, we're going to talk about that. And then let's make that happen. Mm-hmm. And so my first reaction was, no, when you do it in the spring, and I could have, I could have said, I could have said, no, we're doing it in the spring, but I stopped and listened. I said, okay, you know, tell me the reasons why. And she, like I said, she made great points and she's a one that's living it every day, her and her uh, colleagues. And so if that's what they feel like it's going to be best and it's going to work, then we're going to make it happen. So that's perfect. That's exactly the way that we have to act. We want teachers to listen to student input and to listen how students are doing and to change based on what their kids need. We have to do the same. Exactly, exactly. So if coaches are currently coaching something, maybe they're an academic coach, an instructional coach, or even maybe they're um, an SEL coach or a tech coach or a literacy coach, anything, and they want to transition into math coaching, what do you think they could do to make that happen? Well, I think... I guess my first question would be, if they wanted to do math, I would assume that they've already taught math. <laughs> I would hope so. And so if they are, a t- yeah, but if not, so the first thing I would say is take a couple of years to teach math, but no, <laughs> I'm sure they're wanting to go to math. Coach. My, I've always been a firm believer of going and talk to your administration mm-hmm. and just lay it out there because just like I want teachers to come talk to me and lay it out there and say, Hey, this is what I'm thinking. It's the same thing I do with my administrators. So uh, my assistant superintendent, it's been phenomenal. And whenever I want to do the content planning, I went to her and said, hey, this is what I want to do. And she listened and we, we made it happen. So if we don't go and tell our administrators or whoever it is that we need to talk to that we're interested, mm-hmm. then they're, they might not realize that's what you want to do. So I think that's the first thing is, if you have that strong desire to be a math coach, then talk to the people you need to talk to, even if the per- the position doesn't exist. It, yeah. I mean, I think sometimes people are like, well, the position doesn't exist. I can't do it. 
I've been an administrator before. I was an assistant principal for three years um, before, and then I became an instructional coach. And sometimes you might not know as an administrator that that's what your desire is. And so I think just that would be probably the first step is talk to the people you need to talk to and don't be afraid to do so. Yeah, that's important. I think you could probably justify a need for it as well. If you needed yes. to pull test scores or, you know, whatever data you have, you could probably justify, I mean, most schools can justify a need for a math coach, honestly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and also if there's anyone out there who's wanting to do it, um, here's something else you can use. So, <laughs> you know, they say that if a student leaves third grade without being um, a successful reader, then the chances of them being a successful reader as they move further and further to school gets less and less. Mm -hmm. It's the exact same thing for math. If we don't have our math foundations, yeah. there's so much to say about spatial reasoning and pre-K and being able to compose and decompose numbers visually. There's so much that you're doing with your brain with those math foundations that if you are leaving third grade, without a strong, strong math foundation, then the chances of you uh, it get becoming stronger as you, the further you get into school mm -hmm. or, you know what I'm trying to say, further yes. the older you get, the harder it's going to be to make happen. So right. I think that's something else you can use is like, we've got to get these kids math foundations. Mm -hmm. So if you've got kids in third grade or fourth or fifth grade that are still struggling with basic um, subtraction, like nine minus seven and they're still using their fingers, there's a foundational problem there. Mm -hmm. So I think you can use that to, to your advantage. So, yep, definitely. How can people find you online or in the real world? And I know you mentioned a couple of places that we can find you online and observe you not dancing. Or <laughs> <laughs> dancing really bad. <laughs> um, so my, my Instagram is math coach minute which to be honest, I just take my TikTok videos and post mm -hmm. them on Instagram. So I am not a picture maker. My husband is a professional photographer and he takes the best pictures, but I'm just not the best model. But um, anyway, so I just put a lot of my videos on Instagram, but it's Math Coach Minute. TikTok is Math Coach Minute. And I actually have a website of free resources. So I created this website. I just launched it in January. It's mathcoachminute.com. Mm -hmm. And the reason why I've provided all these free resources is basically a way to pay it forward. Um, I, I mentioned at the beginning the two teachers that just, if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't be in education. And so they gave of their time, they gave of their resources. And so I just wanted a way to pay it forward. So they can go to mathcoachminute.com and there's all sorts of free resources. You just click it and it pops up. And you can just download it right then and there. So they don't have to go to anywhere else to find it. So they can just go straight to the website. It's and I have tons of videos on the website. Yeah. That's great. So lots and lots of videos. Yeah. I saw that you shared about that not long ago. And I thought that was awesome. So definitely check it out. If you are teaching math or coaching math, or you would like to coach math, it's a good place to start learning. <laughs> <laughs> so Thank you so much for being here with us today. We have gotten, we've talked about so many important things and I'm sure somebody has been inspired to become a math coach. <laughs> well, I really appreciate you having me. It's been really good. So thank you so much. All right, coaches. I know that I really appreciated how candid Stacy was and how much she shared about her own experience as a math coach. 
I would love to hear if any of you are going to be math coaches. And if you have anybody that you know should be a math coach, send this episode to them. There's a couple ways you can do it. You can actually share the episode. If you're listening on maybe Apple podcasts, you can click the three little dots on the bottom and click share. And that will give you a bunch of different options. Even you can text it directly to the person to say, Hey, you would be a great math coach. And you can send them this episode. You can also take a screenshot and stick it in your Insta stories and then tell me at Buzzing with Miss B so I can see what you thought of the episode. You can also tag Stacy at Math Coach Minute. I would love to see if you share it with anybody. Or if you, even if I don't see it, I would love for you to do that because I really believe that there are some math coaches out there that don't even know it yet. <laughs> I do have a free download for you that you can grab at buzzingwithmissb.com slash episode 105. And that is my startup email course. So in this course, it comes straight to your email inbox. It includes a few different videos and some, some posts that you can read to help you get started as an instructional coach. So if you have already started coaching, great. You can go back and watch these videos and see what you maybe can add to those foundational things that we need to set up as coaches. If you have not started coaching yet, then what you can do is actually watch the videos maybe over the summer or at the beginning of the school year and get ready to have a really strong coaching year. Some basic foundational pieces. So check that out at buzzingwithmissb.com slash episode 105. It's a really popular free, um, free course that I have. So I think that you would love it. There is also a resource that you can check out. It's teacher surveys for instructional coaches. Now, one of the things that Stacey and I talked about today was getting feedback from teachers. And I mentioned using forms to do that, and then you can actually save their input. In teacher surveys for instructional coaches, you can either print these surveys out or I included Google Forms where teachers can submit their responses and send them into you. You can take them and put them into a spreadsheet. It's automatic. Actually, you don't even have to make a decision to do that. It just does it. And you can look at all of your answers there. That is a really great way to find out what teachers need and how you can support them. We also talked a lot about planning today. And I know that that is an area that many coaches have felt uncomfortable with when they're planning in specific content areas. Because of that, I wanted to remind you or to share with you that in my course, The Confident Literacy Coach, there's actually a whole lesson specifically about planning with PLCs. And I walk you through a planning process from start to finish in this video. It includes the documents that you need to plan together, like little lesson planning mats and lesson plan formats and everything you need to get planning done as a team and to facilitate that planning. It's a whole planning process. So check that out. Go to confidentliteracycoach.com and you can join the course there and you can get that whole planning module. It's probably out of all the modules and I think there are like 29 modules. I think it's my favorite one because planning is so important and it's also so, so hard to do with a team. So if you are struggling in planning with a team and you're a literacy coach, go check out Confident Literacy Coach. Honestly, the whole course is worth it just for that one module. Next week, I am super excited to talk to a technology coach. So we're going to continue our place for everyone theme that we have this month. We're going to talk to a technology coach, which is somebody who dedicates their work to technology every day of the week. And until then, happy coaching.
Thank you for listening to Buzzing with Miss B, the coaching podcast. Want more coaching ideas? Check me out at buzzingwithmissb.com and on Instagram at buzzingwithmissb. If you love the show, share it with a coach who would love it too, or leave me a review on iTunes. It's free and it helps others find this show. Happy coaching. Happy coaching.